0: I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land and for this episode in particular, the Gundungara people. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging.
1: What's great about and what I love about working in in the spirit space is actually that that they are that ingredient for a bartender to do creative stuff with, whereas typically a wine is consumed as the winemaker intended, um, straight from the bottle.
0: This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. So High Spirits are opening the gates of fab in the world of Martinis. Their Southern Highland Spirit Company was co-founded by Alex Doughty and Greg Logan. Together, they are changing the way you construct your classic 5 o'clock cocktail. Today I'm joined by Alex. Hi Alex, thanks for joining me. Hey Shantae, nice to be here. Thanks for having me. It's a cracking day here in the Highlands. Oh, I bet it's beautiful. It's probably nice and warm down there at the moment. You are you reside in the Southern Highlands, but is that is where you're originally from?
1: No, no, I'm uh, I'm from Sydney, um, but uh, we moved here five years ago, and uh, on a day like today, 30 degrees, it's actually hot for a change. Um, After a year of cold and biblical amounts of rain, it's a great place to be, at least at the moment
0: yeah it's nice to be kind of drying out uh, for a little bit and what what pulled you down to the southern highlands i mean it is such a spectacular part of the world so i don't doubt it but what was the original pull
1: well um we we've lived in big cities and in australia and overseas but really we wanted a different place to raise our kids my wife and i and um Moved here five years ago. We live in a town called Barrel, uh, on a, on a farm here and um, I guess you could say we, we moved here for the good life and to give our kids, I guess, a different place to, to grow up, you know, space, outdoors, countryside and hopefully when you go down the main drag, you know people. So, yeah, and uh, we, we haven't regretted a minute of it.
0: Uh, I completely agree with you. It's so beautiful down that way, but to encourage, you know, kids to grow up in the great outdoors when we're so lucky to have such a beautiful country to live in, um, are they outdoor kind of
1: people? They are. um, They really are. In fact, um, uh, yeah, they're they're both quite into horse riding and mountain biking and those sort of things, so that's quite good. But um, like any parent with two teenagers, you sort of, try to just make sure that they're off the devices and are doing something that engages their, their mind. And um, most of the time, um, we definitely get that in spades here. But, yeah, no, it's, it's a great, great part of the world.
0: Yeah, that's definitely a challenge for, for today's children, that's for sure, but
1: a beautiful part of the world.
0: Now, you're a martini drinker from way back, is that right?
1: Uh, yeah, I am. And um, I guess I, I really appreciated that, Um Probably, especially during um, a former life when I was in the corporate uh, world, and um, my my wife and I—she wasn't my wife then—but we lived in in the US in uh, in New York for for quite a while in the early two thousands, and um, that was really where I started to get a bit of a bit of exposure to cocktail culture because growing up in Australia, you sort of know, you see good wine, certainly uh, are exposed to things like beer and um, terrific drinks from the 2000s like, um, you know, RTDs and other things which we're probably all happy to forget about. But um, but I think um, it was particularly being in America for about seven years from 2004 that, really um i got exposed to that as a drink and other cocktails because it was going through this huge explosion in the cocktail scene over there um and so um i really uh, started to taste them for the first time in america and um they're actually it seems to be having a bit of a renaissance now as they have had over you know decades and um yeah it's it's a fantastic drink
0: it certainly is. And all the pieces of the puzzles and the questions I had for you are coming together because I was going to ask where, you know, where did you first kind of have your first martini? Because you're right, it's It's not perhaps as big here. And, and maybe what we mostly know of perhaps a few years ago was uh, like a martini, but maybe more flavoured kind of, kind of cocktails, not your kind of traditional ones. So, it makes sense that you've been in the States and had that experience. So, how did so high, kind of come about?
1: Um, thanks for, you know, you obviously intro um, what we're about. But, you know, like everything, I guess when you think about what led you down a path, often it happens from things in your childhood that you probably don't realise at the time. Um, you know, I was, a couple of things that stick out to me. My my father has always enjoyed good wine and has a nice cellar. And I remember going to wine regions with my, my folks as a kid and playing with my brother out on the lawn outside cellar doors while they're inside tasting, eating cubes of cheese and Jats crackers um, and waiting for them to finish. And, you know, I guess you've got to sort of expose to the Aussie wine industry that way. I also remember as a kid, um, and I'm a bit embarrassed to say it, um, a movie called Cocktail um, that uh, starred Tom Cruise Some people might remember that. But um, I remember that was in the bicentenary year, I think, like 88, and I was nine, and um, so it probably ages me. And I remember just looking at that movie. Obviously, I was very young, and it was just so cool, you know. They had all these crazy cocktail names they were saying. They were throwing these bottles around. Do you remember that movie? I
0: definitely remember that movie. I had a massive crush on him in that
1: movie. (laughs) There you go, uh so you know, I even remember buying one of those um Boston cocktail shakers for my parents for Christmas just because I thought it was was super cool, yeah, so I guess that that happened you know growing up um but i um I was at university i I worked for one summer in the fine wine department of Dan Murphy's of all places um, when they just got bought by Woolies in Paran in Melbourne and that sort of fueled an interest in wine. Um, but that took a back seat basically when, when I started um, a career after uni in sort of the financial services marketing space and uh, that took me to America, which, um, uh, which I really enjoyed and basically I spent my 20s in New York. And so at the time there, it was just this amazing um, cocktail scene. There were these great bars and these speakeasies that were serving drinks that, frankly, I'd I'd never seen before. Um, Martinis, obviously, were were firmly in that mix. But there were these venues that many people may have been to or read about, like like Please Don't Tell and Chumleys and the original Employees Only and all these places that, you know, just felt like another world for someone who grew up in Australia, you know. And everyone has the time of their lives in the 20s, but I think I was just super lucky to be, be then and there. Um, and I do remember my first martini. Um, you know, I remember it with being strong. Uh, <laughs> I remember it being a step up from, you know, the ubiquitous... Cosmopolitan and other sort of sweeter drinks that um, you might have tried before, it was like the best cold glass of water you've ever had. You know, it was refreshing. It was pure. It certainly gave you a hit. But if it was well made with good ingredients, um, you know, uh, uh, frankly, it's it's delicious.
0: Yeah, and it does tend to be the simpler or the less ingredients you have the more important the ingredient is that you're using. Like you said, the quality of what you're using. So I, I, I understand what you mean by trusting that person to mix you up a good martini is, um, yeah, you, you're, you're asking a lot, especially when you, you know, these days you're, you're paying quite a hefty figure, especially in Australia for a, for a martini and you know it's a very measured pour unlike perhaps some places in the states where they kind of uh you know they're a little bit freer and looser with the way that they they do their free pours which i absolutely love and i think your first martinis always should be a memory and mine was in the states as well and uh yeah, it had a very big impression on me, and uh, I'm still a, a big fan of martinis. But as I said to um, someone the other day, that it's a little bit of a gateway drug for me. I, I I love them so much, and I tend to either drink them a little bit too quickly, or I really want a second, and that and I'm and then I'm in this place where I I yeah I
1: don't always want to be. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I th- to use a car analogy, I reckon if you have. An evening start with a martini—it's like you're going straight to third gear, um, which, um, which uh, you know, frankly, is a uh, is sometimes what's needed.
0: Definitely. Well, you're right. It definitely is. Now, I can blame you for um, starting my uh, my Sunday night off with a martini last night, and I was able to have your beautiful um, extra virgin uh, vodka, which was sensational used with also your um wonderful vermouth and then olives which i have to say are some of the best olives i've ever had they're absolutely delicious so tell me a little bit about how kind of so high came about you obviously fell in love with martinis and did you see a gap in the market for kind of some a certain type of you know gin or vodka that you didn't see was there and 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 how did you kind of package all that up
1: uh sure and well firstly I'm glad you had a had a, a good cocktail with it thank you for 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 telling me um always worried uh, if people don't yeah i mean firstly the name so high um is short for southern highlands i have had someone ask me if it's medicinal cannabis and i just thought i'd clarify that um you know as you say we make we make gin vodka and vermouth and we make them with ingredients and flavors that speak of of our part of the world here. Um, For those that aren't that familiar with our part of the world, we're sort of an hour and a half out of Sydney on the way to Canberra. We're high altitude, sort of 700 metres above sea level. And, um, you know, we're sort of beautiful green hills, great volcanic soil, really manicured gardens. And so we really tried to capture all of that in our products. Um, And... um, if you're a Sydney sider who's done well, usually you you either drive to your beach house up the coast, or if you want four seasons and beautiful rolling countryside, you go south to your farm here in the highlands. And um, I think that's because you know we've just got this beautiful scenery, landscapes, you know, country towns. It's almost more of an English landscape. Um, Lots of greenery, even that movie Babe with the pig, that was uh, that was filmed here in the Highlands, if you remember that. Um, but, you know, I think so we, we've sort of got a beautiful part of the world that we're in, um, but very specifically I think um, we've tried to be inspired by um, this sense of place and capturing that in our products. So that's that's ultimately what inspired us to create the products you just talked about. Um if you think about like those long-lived brands usually from the old world it's usually because they're tied to a place and you know parts of Europe and Asia I think have just lasted so long with their brands because they've got a link. It might be champagne, it might be whiskey from Scotland um, or or, or whiskey from Tennessee. I think they've usually got, you know, a sense of place. So that's what we've tried to capture. So that's why our vodkas, for example, the extra virgin one you, um, you put in your martini is made with potatoes. And we do that because we're known for our potatoes here in the Highlands. We've even got a big potato on the main drag of Robertson. Um, beautiful, you know, um, we, we think they're Australia's best. Some of the best chefs in Sydney use those potatoes um, for their dishes. And and so we've really taken that that ingredient and we've been inspired by, by the texture and the creamy mouthfeel that comes from it frankly, almost inspired more by the sort of classic Russian-Polish vodkas that sort of have that that that, that um, feedstock as, as what they make their products from. So that's a great example of being, I guess, almost naturally led to using potato in our vodkas. Um, the extra virgin one you mentioned, um, maybe just to take that one step further, that was a bit of a... Um, a bit of a product that came up during the product development process from our signature vodka, which we call Potato Crisp. And we did that because we wanted to find the best martini olive, uh, which you mentioned. Those olives are grown uh, for us by our great olive-growing partner, Alto Olives. They, they grow their olives in a in a place just outside of Crookwell here in New South Wales in the southern tablelands. And um, we love their olives. And one of the things that drew, drew them to us was – they're naturally brined, and they're also just got this beautiful, um, this beautiful texture and meat fleshy texture to the olive. They do that because they brine them in nothing but water and Olsen sea salt um, from from South Australia. And so when we were playing around with that brine, um, we we actually um, tested. Um, adding it at the end of the distillation to our signature potato vodka, and that, and that started to sort of un, unfold into this really interesting um, dirty martini vodka. So not not a cocktail in a bottle, but just something that's got more salinity, more savouriness, and so really terrific in a dirty martini. Also great in something like a like a bloody mary. So I guess we just let the region and its ingredients sort of um, in a way, guide us to what was going to work. And um, and we were lucky enough to to, to develop that product and, and win a few awards along the way in our first year.
0: Mm. Yeah, and you did. I mean, your vodka won gold in the London Spirits competition uh, in 2022, which is the highest ranking. Is that right for an Australian vodka?
1: It is. Uh, yeah, no, it was a real pinch me moment. Um, obviously, you get super proud of the products you make, but you just hope the world likes them and yeah, that competition is one of the three big ones globally. And, uh, yeah, we, we we definitely were super chuffed and that actually led us to have the confidence to release that as a not just a trade-only product but something for, for the wider market. So, yeah, it's been a, a great early win for our, our business.
0: Mm. It's interesting because when I, put, when I look at your – your first thing you look at when you enter into your um, spirits is the – the bottles—they come in these incredibly stunning cut glass bottles that really gave me um, an a kind of reminder of almost of the kind of seventies kind of era of those beautiful kind of cut glass, you know, um, sometimes half globe kind of bars that people would have and they would mix their drinks. So it really gives you a sense of a feeling. But the more I looked into your brand and the more things make sense, sense to me, it made sense that you had really considered all the ingredients that make up, um, you know, the vodkas or the gins or the mousse, that they're, they're, they have a sense of place, but also that they kind of were packaged to, you know, really hit a, a particular consumer and as somebody that loves martinis it all just makes sense to me it makes sense the olives that, that were considered you know you've only got a few ingredients you've really kind of picked it out so it's really the whole package and um as somebody who loves olives and is very picky about my olives i'm very picky about my pickles as well the um wonderful kind of snap that you get on the outside of those olives in the skin and then they're just the right amount of firmness the brine is perfectly salty i i was in seventh heaven and um i I have to commend the whole team on on all of the components that have gone into it because it really looks like nothing has not been considered
1: oh thanks a lot thanks for noticing yeah it definitely makes you um uh feel it's all worth it because you know obviously liquid needs to be um terrific but you know people usually make their purchase decisions with their eyes and their and their hearts first um, they typically won't necessarily buy it a second time uh, if they don't love what's in it but but we definitely spend a lot of time thinking about yeah how we how we package our product um, we were inspired by things like champagne um, so these sort of classic silhouettes of the classic champagne bottles and also things like perfume so categories outside of um, alcohol that Have these beautiful rib bottles, as you said, a bit more of a timeless deco or retro feel. Um, And, um, yeah, we're glad you noticed. Um, Certainly a labour of love.
0: (laughs) I can really tell that. I mean, the first thing I did was have a sip of the brine because I'm a a total olive brine sipper from way back and pickle juice sipper (laughs) from way back. Um, But tell me a little bit about the moment that you first held a bottle of So High in your hand and kind of made your first drink? Did you, um, you know, do it with the, the group and the team that kind of was involved or did, you know, how did you celebrate that moment? Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. It, look, it, I'm sure that many um, makers or, you know, people who create things from scratch can relate to this, but it's a really emotional thing. You don't realise it until it hits you, but for for Soho, it was a culmination of a couple of years of work. You know, frankly, a lot of um, time, energy, trial, error. Um, and that starts, obviously, with the liquid. You know, what do we want it to be about? Um, researching ingredients, partnering with growers, refining it, throwing stuff out, starting again, you know, all that good stuff. You then layer on top of that... Um, how do we want to tell our story about this place? Obviously the name itself, um, and I give full credit to Greg for that. He's just such a talented guy in terms of he, he came up with So High straight away um, and uh, and what's the world around that? So we call you know our brand Playfully Posh. You know, it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek. We don't take ourselves too seriously, but we're, we try to be a little um, a bit fancy. And then the packaging, yeah. Um, so, you know, for those that haven't, um, had much to do with the the custom bottle industry. It, it's a really long lead time. You sort of have to make um, big decisions early. Um, and once you press go, it's not like you're doing you know a couple of hundred bottles and then hoping hoping that it goes well. So you know seeing it all together and holding it in your hand and seeing the finished package as you had in mind, yeah, it was a really, really emotional time and frankly um, we were we were delighted.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine the moment, but um, I certainly would have been very rewarding. And I think emotional is a good way to describe it because, like you said, a lot of hard work. I'm sure, like you said, a lot of big decisions that, you know, big financial decisions need to be made, like you said, and uh, you've just got to kind of go all in, don't you, and, and put, put, or put all your money in the rink and just go for it. But what a wonderful product that you've kind of come up with at the end of the day. But I'd like to know a little bit more about your gin. There's so many Aussie gins on the market and so many fantastic gins. With all the botanicals to choose from, how did the recipe evolve?
1: Yeah, look, you, you're spot on, Shantae. Like the world doesn't need another gin. I, um, I think we, we, we can agree with that. Um, but um, I think two things, particularly during COVID, that kept coming back, we always wanted to create potato-based um, vodka and our gin is our two signature products. Um, um, and then we've since launched out of Amirth, as you said, and so on. But the gin is very much um, inspired by here, by our place. And so what does that mean? Well, it means it's not a juniper-forward London dry style. It, it's actually a more balanced, layered, sort of um, a delicate gin, and it's really more inspired by our gardens. That's why we call it Garden Envy. Most of the botanicals um, are grown um, by the Botanic Gardens here in Barrel, which is a great partnership we have with them. Um, You know, when you get off, a probably the easiest way I can describe it is when you get off the plane in a different place and it smells different or the air sort of the oils in the air or the the light is different, you know, we try to create that same sort of feeling like you've walked into a Highlands garden in our gin. So practically, what does that mean? There's three main profiles that go on in the gin. The first is floral. Um, and, and we do that because that's invariably what you, you're finding in our beautiful gardens here. It's things like lavender, which a great organic lavender farm grows for us near Crookwool. Um It's rose petals. But that you get on the nose. You don't get it on the palate. Um, you get sort of our other two profiles, which are citrus and herbaceous, so things like orange peel, um, coriander, and then this third layer, herbaceous, which we think really brings it all together And they're the things that grow in a Highlands almost kitchen garden. They're almost more classic English herbs, not Aussie natives, things like rosemary, thyme, bay leaf, mint. There's even some pink peppercorn and a bit of watercress, which grows here year-round for for warmth. So, yeah, I I guess we could have created something that um, takes more of an homage to, say, a classic London dry, but that's not what grows here. Um, And so, we've really tried to encapsulate that and stand apart by something that people can relate to with this part of the world. And and we're really glad we did it and happy with the result. Mm.
0: Yeah. When I first read some of the uh, aromatics that you've used, I wasn't sure what I would feel because I don't particularly love the smell of lavender. It reminds me a little bit of um, kind of that kind of y, you know, like, that soapy kind of element. Um, And I was really surprised because I think that that balance that you have of the cress and the mint and the rosemary, there's these green elements. And so instead of um, a kind of manicured grandma's garden of what I kind of imagined, it really felt very lush to me, like, you know, morning dew and kind of all these fresh, Earthy elements, and I just thought, wow, this is really well balanced. And I just, I love all those fresh elements. To me, it's like walking through a garden, but on a day where you've had some kind of morning rain, and it just felt so fresh and lively, and um, it very well balanced. I
1: really enjoyed it. Thank you, and um, yeah, spot on. And that's what we, we've really tried to achieve because th- there is a lot of choice um, out there, and you know, we know what speaks of. Highlands, and and that are that is those ingredients. I think the other thing that we've really learnt by by focusing in that way on on the gin in particular is um, it it lends itself to different drinks, um, lends itself to different tonic water and a gin and tonic. It lends itself to different garnishes. In fact, the garnishes have been a big um, focus. Something we call garnish with your garden, uh, and and that as. You know, everyone knows can really change the profile of the drink. Let's take a classic gin and tonic, we call it a garden and tonic because depending on which garnish you put in that drink really drives what sings in the base gin. And so it's almost like a choose-your-own-adventure. You can get almost three different gin and tonics um, depending on which of those garnishes you choose. Something like a rosemary sprig is going to be super different to um, you know, a rose petal or a blood orange slice. And, um, yeah, I think it's it's nice when you've got a bit of versatility and um, I can have a picket, you know, when we do things like festivals and people try it. I'd say it's about 50-50. People prefer, say, the citrus over the herbaceous and it's good to have choices.
0: Now, how many, uh, this is a question for you, how many martinis are too many martinis?
1: <laughs> uh, well... Uh, there's a fantastic bar in London um, that you may have come across called um Tire and Elementary and they serve a product called the One Sip Martini and I think they're really clever. They've done that so that you, you know, if you have a second one or a third one, you're sort of really making sure you, you're not um, having it get it carried away from you. Look, I, I, think, I think one is often never enough I think two about hits perfectly right, but I I usually tip the scales and if I'm on to which I rarely would do the third I usually probably need to pull up stumps. So I think I think two feels right. Um, particularly because um, and I say this again back to the it being well made, what's really great, particularly if you're just sitting at a bar um, with a fantastic bartender who's making you a cocktail like a martini, sometimes the feedback you give on your first martini can give them the sort of license to give you something very creative on the second based on what you liked about the first. Um, a great example of that is a, a place I went to in Adelaide um, where the the bartender introduced me to a whole different sort of product because I'd never... Um, really tried that before, but because I gave him some feedback on the first one. But yeah, I think two is where you tap out. Well, at least I do.
0: <laughs> I'm with you on that point as well. It's rare that I have two, but three is an absolute no-go for me. So I think it's nice that we're in line.
1: <laughs> the, other, the other thing that I think is interesting, Shantae, is obviously the role that things like Vermouth play, um, which um, you know we've thought a lot about. We've created our driver Vermouth to really be the perfect botanical complement to our own spirits. Um, I don't think there are many spirits companies that make their own vermouth, but we really wanted to try and tailor that to ours. Um, But, but what's great about, say, the ratio of vermouth is you can create a very different and often lower ABV drink um, by dialing up, say, the vermouth. Um, so, you know, things like a 50-50 or a reverse martini, which is basically like a five to one, is just um, a whole different drink without necessarily as much of the booze in it.
0: mm. Yeah, you don't don't see that ordered very often. But I mean, working in restaurants for a lot of my life, I was blown away when I first moved to the States. And um, I actually thought people were kidding when they were so particular about the way they ordered their martinis. And I'll never forget one time when I had a very camp customer that came in and had ordered a Churchill martini and being the Aussie i was like oh, what the hell is this guy talking about and uh, he said oh darling it's just straight frozen gin and i and prepared while you're glancing at the unopened bottle of vermouth <laughs> and he was so hilarious and i i was in stitches um and he was he that's he was just a really funny guy but i couldn't believe i was like my god how many ways are there to order martini? but we do see in australia now that um people really are drinking a lot more martinis I I remember you know coming back to Australia about you know 10 years ago and it was very rare it it would be you know a cosmopolitan like you said or an espresso martini but a lot of martinis going out the door these days which is great to see so who who's pouring your products and who's making the best martini
1: with your products other than yourself oh golly well I'd say probably I'm not which is probably why uh, it's fantastic to work with some great you know bartenders and venues who do Um, I think what's uh, and you being, you know, a, a really knowledgeable drinks person, but, but with a real deep knowledge as well of, of wine, is someone had this great line, I can't remember who said it, that spirits are an ingredient and, you know, wine is a finished product. And what's great about and what I love about working in, in the spirit space is actually that, that they are that ingredient for a bartender to do creative stuff with, whereas typically a wine is consumed as the winemaker intended. Um, straight from the bottle, and so when I think about, I will give you a couple of quick examples. Like, um, like say Tucker, who um, runs the bar at Benelong, um, that you may know. And what's what's fantastic about um, what they do with, say, our vodka there is he makes um, a signature cocktail that's very much about what Benelong is about. And they often name their drinks after because they're in the Opera House after. Um, fantastic um music related things so they call that drink strawberry Fields forever that is completely different to what someone like um ryan who is um the head of the bar at encore by claire smith which is a, a, a great customer of ours and ryan creates a very different product a very different cocktail it's like a variant of a thing called an estate hold up um with that um with that same vodka i guess uh a good example, though, of the really um, classic martini would be someone like David Murphy at One Penny Red. So um, I think he's been on your podcast before. He's such a lovely man. Um, um, he he uh, obviously, and it's probably a good example of a cult following almost among locals restaurant that um, has locals coming time and again to a great place to eat. Hang out, chat um and so what um what murph does with our products there and both the the spirits and the vermouth is create just really terrific classic martinis typically around a five to one ratio um you know usually to the customer's liking it doesn't need to be too prescriptive and so i guess those are just three examples where where um the same product can do dramatically different things, and that's what's so exciting. It's not us that makes the best drinks; it's the venues that they're poured at. So that that that's pretty exciting.
0: It definitely is, and I, and I love that. Like you said, you that freedom to have creative license it is nice to hear because you know you have made a beautiful product, and they have been made with certain intentions in mind. But it's wonderful to hear also that, you know, you're giving it over to, you know, people that uh, do this as a job and, and to be open to, to what they can come up with is a really nice way to look at it. And it keeps it exciting, doesn't it? Because you've got lots of places to hit up to see what they're doing with uh, with your wonderful gins and vodkas.
1: Uh, there's certainly worse things to do in the world than um, go and support your customers, uh, which is, yeah, it's it's a hardship, but someone's got to do it.
0: Someone's got to do it. All right, Alex, if you could only drink three drinks for the rest of your life, what are they going to be and why? I think
1: for me, the three drinks that I love really mirror what my ideal meal is with friends. Um, And they usually have a, Beginning, a middle, and an end. Um, Shock. The first one would have to be a martini. You know, a well-made martini, especially. You know, I'm pretty picky about where they'll get made. But um, probably more surprisingly, is I'm not picky whether it's a gin or a vodka martini. I think there's a place for both. I also like it both ways with my garnish. I'll have it sometimes with an olive and a lemon twist. So I just think it's a great way to start a night out. It's so refreshing, it's so nuanced, and, um, yeah, it's just delicious. So that, that would be my first. Um, the second, sort of during the meal, I would I have to say it's a savoury Pinot Noir, um, you know, something just really great about a good one, this sort of earthiness, complexity, great with food, and I know sometimes um, you like to get specific on which ones. I, I'd probably say something like, I, I don't have the reference point of something like a DRC or what that tastes like, but I did once try a well celled Bass Phillip um, Premium and that was the most memorable wine I've ever drunk. Uh, it was just um, just amazing. And the third one I'd say is I'm, I'm more of a savoury bitter palate than a sweet one. That's probably not a surprise. Uh, and But when you combine the two in an amaro uh, at the end of a meal, I just think it is just just fantastic. It settles your stomach. There's just so much complexity sometimes when, you, when you've just had enough of taste and flavours. And if I had to choose one, I'd, I'd probably say it's Finette Brunka. Um, mm, hardcore. I, I, I know, it's a bit full on. And I remember the first time a waiter in in New York recommended it and uh, it just cut through everything. It was a great end to the meal. I think my wife thinks it's like floor polish, but but I'm a big fan.
0: (laughs) Yes, it's always – People sit in uh, either camp, don't they? The the why would you do that to yourself camp or the can't get enough. And uh, I, I have a lot of adv- admiration for Fernet drinkers. So I'm impressed with that. And, you know, talking about Bass Phillip, when you said Savory Pinot, it's the first wine that came to mind is Savory Pinot is Bass Phillip. And I think I'm really glad that you've had that wine and have that experience because it is just a taste sensation. And, um, you know, the kind of, Mushroom and forest floor and earth and spice elements to those wines are just amazing. So um, three excellent choices. Oh, thank you. It's been such a pleasure having you on, Alex. Um, I love the product. I'm glad that it's being poured by and and being um, you know consumed so well and the, the response is so well. And, you know, I, I, I just wish you the very best onwards and upwards. And maybe we might see some, um, you know, maybe some pickled onions down the track or something like that from you. Who knows what's what's in the in, in the workings, but congratulations on a great product. And uh, thank you for joining me today. It's been really fun talking. And I, I know that we could probably do this for a lot longer because I've got, I could talk uh, martinis and And drinks all day.
1: (laughs) Shantae, thank you so much for having me. We've got a cellar door and a venue coming in the Highlands, so when that's open, please visit. I'd love to um, stir a martini for you.
0: I will definitely hold you to that. That would be amazing. Thank you so much, Alex. Life is grand with a martini in in hand, as somebody once said, and cheers to you.
1: Cheers to you. Thanks a lot.
0: This is Over a Glass. I'm Shantae Whale.